The great resignation that began in the spring of 2020 has been slow to subside, and millions of workers continue to leave their jobs each month, creating a daily challenge for HR pros to keep their organizations fully staffed. And of course, this puts HR squarely in the proverbial driver's seat to fix the problem. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, a performance coach and author of Winning the Talent Shift. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. To help you, we've called in expert Rob Dubin, who has spent 17 years sailing the world to study human happiness. He now works with companies to combat quiet quitting and develop solutions to the great resignation. Rob, welcome to Voices of HR. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Well, we're so excited for this conversation and this whole notion of happiness. And we're going to dig into this topic deeply, uh, both from a work standpoint and a life standpoint. Um, But today, I guess it really feels like happiness is a luxury in our own lives, particularly our work lives, you know, as employees really are still striving striving to figure out and reshape and balance our work, our home, fun, family, all post-pandemic. So before we jump in and solve today's most pressing questions, I'm curious, why study happiness in your own professional life? Was there like this watershed moment or tipping point that really drew you into the topic? And of course, the listeners, I teed it up at the beginning. I know they're going to want to know how did sailing around the world for 17 years fit into that? Well, I would say that uh, I've always been focused on happiness. I've always felt it was an important goal for life. And uh, Aristotle and the Dalai Lama and lots of social scientists have talked about this for years. I mean, the Dalai Lama said happiness is the purpose of life. Aristotle mm. said the same thing 2000 years ago. And we all have a happiness set point that sort of is in our DNA. And I know that I was born with quite a high happiness set point. So I was always aware that I looked that I was happier and I looked for more happiness, much more than other people. And when I was 42 years old, I had a very successful film production company. My wife and I traveled all over the world making Mm. TV shows and television commercials for Fortune 500 companies. But at the prime of my career, 42, we sold our home and bought a sailboat and set off to sail around the world. And this was before the day of the digital nomad. So we really had no other goal other than to make ourselves happy every day. And we found quite a unique thing that all of the other sailors like us were doing, they were out there for the same reason. None of us were sailing from point A to point B to set a record or to, to, uh, you know, not like climbing Mount Everest in that sense, where you've got this big goal that you're going after. And none of us were doing it to make any money or create a, uh, a business. And we all tended to do the same things that created the same kind of happiness. So I became very focused on what those things were. And then I studied happiness in all these different countries we visited. And that's what I brought back to my life after all those years on the boat. And I was still quite happily retired, uh, you know, three, four, five years ago. 
The pandemic was very easy for my wife and me because we live in a beautiful place in the Colorado Rockies and our lives weren't drastically affected. We didn't have young kids to homeschool. But I realized how many people were so unhappy. And so I basically came out of retirement during the pandemic to share what I understand about how to make people happier. Wow. that That's, I think, a story that most people aspire to do, but a lot of them wait until retirement to do, you know, to sail around the world for 17 years. So you were ahead of your time, definitely. It's just, I put a different priority. I mean, uh, my brothers both built very big businesses, both became extremely successful with hundreds and hundreds of employees. And I just saw a different path where I thought the happiness was more important than those other things. And I will say that I had a, uh, I don't know, not a crisis, but I had a shift in my uh, view of my work. I was a filmmaker and I just felt that I wasn't getting the same satisfaction creatively from doing what I was doing. And I think there are a lot of jobs that you can continue to do at a very high level if your heart's not completely in it. But Mm -hmm. being creative, making movies is not one of them. And I wasn't willing to make less than movies that were less than the best I could possibly do. So that was a time that inspired me to look for other things to do and other ways to live. And I focused on this happiness. And so we took off to, to sail the world. It's incredible. So before we talk about and make the shift into what's occurring in our organizations today, strategically take us back maybe five to 10 years. Do you think that there were cracks in the foundation per se prior to the pandemic or better said, was there a trend toward unfulfilling, unhappy lives before the pandemic really created this wake-up call across the globe? I think it's a little bit of the the frog in the boiling water analogy. You know, mm-hmm. if you if they take a frog and they put it in a cold pot of water and turn the stove up, it will stay there and boil. Mm-hmm. But if you take a frog and throw it into water that's already boiling, it will jump out. And I think that's what we had seen is just over many, many years, it got to be, you know, where you worked 40 hours a week, and then you worked 45 hours a week, and then 60 hours a week, mm-hmm. and then 75 hours a week. And everybody came to think it was normal. And uh, so I guess it's a little bit of that analogy. Yeah, it was definitely expected. And I would say generationally, you know, I know I was raised with you, ha- you work hard, and that is your life is work. You know, I read a statistic recently that almost 50% of American workers derive their primary happiness from their work. And I would say in statistics, happiness then would be identified as really a key driver for HR and something that organizations should pay attention to. So are employees happy today in most organizations? I think the silver lining in the pandemic is that more and more people are actively looking for their happiness, whereas pre-pandemic, they weren't looking for Mm. it. It was that time off that they examined their life and they said, hey, I'm not happy. This isn't working for me. And obviously, if millions of people are looking for their happiness, a lot they won't all find it, but a whole lot of them will. Mm -hmm. And that may involve changing jobs or changing their their employer being more flexible and custom making a job to so you can do more of the things you like and less of the things you don't like in your job. And 
when, when you say that, uh, that people are derive their 50% derive their happiness or their purpose from work, you hit on a really interesting thing because we have this other meme besides the great resignation. We have this other meme of quiet quitting. Mm. And I think quiet quitting is a lose, lose proposition. There's one little positive aspect of it in that the employee can set boundaries for you can't call me at, you know, six o'clock on Friday evening or two in the you know afternoon on Saturday. So the employee can set some realistic boundaries that will make their life better. And that's the one positive aspect of it. The rest of it is a lose lose. Obviously, the employer loses because the employee is less engaged and just doing the bare minimum. But the employee themselves lose because if, as you say, they do derive their sense of satisfaction and growth from their job, now they're disengaging in their job, they're going to find themselves less happy. They may not get an email or a phone call on Friday evening, but in the long run, they're going to be less, less happy if they disengage themselves and just do the bare minimum of work. So it's a lose-lose. It's a terrible uh, meme and it's a terrible problem. And the real solution is to make people happier in their work and happier in all areas of their life, really. Yeah. So let's let's explore that. So I think I would suspect most people want to achieve happiness in their life. How do we do it? There's a uh, catch-22. I don't know if that's the right uh, metaphor, but I recently took the Yale University Happiness Studies course. And the first third of the course is all the things is talking about all the things that we think will make us happy that will not make us happy. Mm. And the social scientists have a wonderful word for it called miswanting. So we want these things that we, if we ask people beforehand, how happy will winning the lottery make you? They say, you know, it's going to make me a, a 10 plus on a scale of oh, one really to 10. Happy. Yeah. And then when they win the lottery, they find it moved them from a five to a six and that only lasted a year or two, and then they were back to where they were. You want that new car, and it's wonderful, but six months from now, it's just your car. And so we miswant. We want these things that we think are going to bring tremendous happiness, and they do not. And uh, I spoke recently at Harvard University about happiness, and there's a professor there who teaches a happiness, happiness studies course at Harvard, and he has a... Uh, uh, one of his parts of his lecture is that we can't pursue happiness directly. We have to pursue it indirectly. And what he's saying is, if you wake up this morning and say, I want to be happier, you don't know, really know how to go about it. Mm. And in fact, you have to th do things like be present, be grateful for what you have and focus on gratitude, do a gratitude journal, be present in the very moment. And, and when you're feeling something happy, savor that moment. Uh, things that take you outside of your comfort zone and deliver purpose and meaning and growth to your life. So you, that's how you pursue happiness is for, through these other things. And that's what I learned when I started sailing. Before we had gone sailing, we were making lots of movies and I became interested in sailing. So I pivoted my film business to make a lot of sailing movies. Mm. And I was filming the America's Cup and working a lot with ESPN on that and these Grand Prix yacht races. And the people that can do those races and do the America's Cup, they are all multimillionaires and billionaires. Sure. So their crews would sail the yacht to wherever the regatta was. They would fly in in their private jets. And then we would get to go out with them on their boats. 
So I spent a lot of time with these multimillionaires and billionaires, and I noticed some of them were happy and some weren't. And then a few years later, we were off sailing to third world countries, and I noticed some of these people that lived in grass shacks were happy and some weren't. And the percentages weren't radically different, mm -hmm. nothing like you would expect. The billionaires were a little happier, but not that much. But in the meantime, I was studying all these other sailors like ourselves who were specifically seeking happiness. We had left our jobs and stepped out of our comfort zone to get on a boat and cross an ocean. And almost all of this group was incredibly happy and incredibly happy much of the time. And so I started seeing what traits and skills we were doing that created that. And that were the, th those are the things like I mentioned, gratitude and purpose and meaning and, and being present and being part of something bigger than yourself, you know, con contributing to others, that sort of thing. So from an employer standpoint, because a lot of our listeners work within a corporate environment, they're heads of HR, they're CHROs, they're directors of HR, or they must be, or, or they might be an individual who is a one person shop in HR at a smaller organization. How important is happiness, having happy employees to the organization is? Well, it's essential. I mean, uh, Gallup now tells us that uh, United States happiness uh, engagement is at 21%. And if your employees are happy, they're going to stay. If they're unhappy, they're going to leave. It is literally as simple as that. And here's a couple of real, we're getting to the crux of the, uh, the information for your yes. HR people. I mean, happiness can be universal, but here's how it really affects the HR world. There was 47 million resignations in 2021 when we were still in the pandemic and coming out of it. And that, and I solely started doing work with uh, HR departments during the pandemic when I saw why their employees were leaving. So that's when I began focusing on it. And so all of 21, 2021 and 22, I was absorbing podcasts from HR people and everything in your publications and all the other publications. And everybody was saying, well, here's the solution. It's this new benefit package. It's this new thing. And they're trotting out more compensation, more benefits, all the things that have worked for HR for decades. So 2021, we had 47 million resignations. 2022, which we've just finished, we've had over 50 million. So... We have to look in the mirror and say all this money we've spent in the last 18 months, all these new benefit packages we trotted out, all these new things we did that HR people said were going to work did not work. So we have to face that realization. That's step number one. So we know what doesn't work. And the reason that these things worked for decades but aren't working now is because people are thinking about their lives differently post-pandemic. That's that's a fact. And we're not going back to full in the office employment all the time. It's going to be hybrid work. There's a lot of employees for whom if it's not hybrid or remote, your company's off mm -hmm. the table if you don't allow that. They're just not even looking at you. Uh, so we have to realize that we have had a giant paradigm shift in how people view their lives and their work. And I've never liked the term work-life mm -hmm. balance because there is no right. such thing. You can't do something for eight hours a day and put it in a box over here right. and call it work and have it be separate from right. your life. 
It's life balance, and our lives need to be in balance. So that first recognition is that we the things we have trotted out haven't worked. We have more resignations now than we did before. So the second thing is happiness. Your employees, if they are happy, they will stay. That's a fact. I mean, that's what we know. So how do you make them happier? Well, happiness skills can be taught. And that's what I do. Uh, Harvard University and Yale University, each one of them, when they started a happiness studies program, became the most popular course in the history of the university, in each university. So going forward, younger people will know that happiness is something they should focus on and they'll have better skills at doing it. But I liken it to learning how to play guitar or learning how to play tennis. It's something that can be taught and there are skills that can be taught to make you better at being happy. So if you can teach your people how to be better at being happy, you're leveraging all that money that you're already spending on compensation and benefits and and better culture and employee recognition and and, uh, awards programs. You're doing all those things so that people will be happier. But you can also make them better at being happy. So if you were going to get a a boost of this big from that benefit, now you're going to get a boost that's this big. So how do you know I'm sitting in HR of a 500-person employee company? How do I know if my organization is unhappy or a majority of people are unhappy? And it's something that I need to prioritize with everything else that I have on my plate today. How do I know that happiness is the one or two things you know, the top one or two things that I need to focus on? Well, there, you know, most people do, uh, they're either their own engagement survey or they use the Gallup Mm -hmm. Q12 or something like that. And so I suggested, John Clifton recently wrote a book called Blind Spot about the global rise in unhappiness. And he he approached it from a uh, political, that our political leaders should be focusing on it like they do in countries like Bhutan and and uh, the, the Scandinavian countries where it's a big part of their, they don't just uh, calculate GDP, gross domestic product profitability, they calculate a gross happy mm-hmm. national happiness. So Gallup, you know, people use the Gallup Q12. And I've had some conversations with John Clifton, the president of Gallup over uh, some LinkedIn posts. And I said, the Q12, every question on it is some version of how can we make you happier at work? If we do this, will you be happier at work? If we do that, will you be happier at work? How would you rate your work happiness? You know, Do you have the tools to do your job that makes you happy at work? All those questions, happier at work. And if you listen to people when they were being interviewed all over the place on national TV during the Great Resignation, they all said, during the pandemic, I had a chance to re-examine my life. Not my work, my life. So we're focused on work burnout and people are quitting because of life burnout. So you've got to focus on making your employees happy, not just nine to five doing things that are going to make their work life better, but make their life better. And the there's no coincidence in this connection that I'm about to make for you. The number one predictor of how people, how happy people are at work and whether they will stay at that job is if they have a best friend mm. in the office. That's Gallup tells us that every year mm-hmm. that they do that survey. The number one predictor is, do you have a best friend at work? And why is that? Because I've, I've heard, 
skeptic say, really, I'm an adult. Do I really need a best friend at work? And I think it's more the phrasing of the question. Um, so, it, so, yeah. It could be the phrasing of the question, but we know that the connection is there, that having a best friend, having somebody at work that you consider, whether it's a best friend or a friend, but somebody that you relate to on a deep level, that is your best predictor of whether you'll stay on the job. If you look at the studies by the social scientists, the studies that Harvard and Yale, for instance, teach in their programs, the number one best predictor of human happiness is strong relations with family or friends or cohort or other people. So that's not a coincidence. That's the same thing showing us that that makes people happy outside of work and it makes people happy inside of work and therefore more likely to stay. Yeah. And I guess when you apply that to the pandemic and the work from home, and I think people absolutely needed that as well uh, for all the reasons that we just talked about. But workplaces also want people to come back in to work, primarily to have those relationships and create those cultures that are going to serve their clients and their shareholders and everyone in the best possible way. And at the core of that, it's creating relationships and happiness, correct? Without a doubt. And I think we're going to um, we're going to find a, a balance that works. I think people are going to find that they we know that they don't like their commute and they're happier to work from home in their pajamas yes. and slippers. But all those same people are slowly realizing they're missing one little piece of the puzzle here. And they're going to want to do, you know, Tuesdays in the office or something like that. So that's mm -hmm. certainly going to be part of it as we as this continues to shake out and we find what the new normal is. Yeah. And I even read yesterday that I believe it's Maryland is encouraging. Uh, I think they have a bill that's been introduced for a four day work week across the board for companies um, that are in Maryland. And so that will be interesting. And the pre-study show that they're actually, the employees are actually more productive within four days than they were within five. So they're working 32 hours, they're still receiving the same pay, and they're getting more work done. To me, Absolutely. that's Absolutely. Almost every company that has experimented with that, whether whatever state they're in, they have found exactly that result, that their people are just mm -hmm. as productive in 32 hours as they are in 40 hours. And now you've got a happier employee and they have a better life balance and everybody wins all the way around. You know, do. we know there's so many statistics of how much happier employees change the workplace. And mm -hmm. this is alluding a little bit to your earlier question of why the HR department should focus on that. And when mm -hmm. I, I speak a lot at SHRM and other HR conferences around the country, I have a couple coming up in the next uh, couple months in Iowa and Atlanta and some others. And I often tell people, when they ask, how can I get my C-suite to pay attention to this? I say, mm -hmm. use both the carrot and the stick approach. The stick approach is we know that it's costing one to two times an employee's annual salary to replace them. Mm -hmm. We know that disengaged employees and engagement has dropped in the last few years after going up quite a bit in previous decade. Uh, we know that Gallup tells us that disengaged employees are going to cost the economy nearly $8 trillion next year. And mm. your company is footing the bill for part of that. 
So that's the, the stick approach is how expensive it is, how much it costs to replace employees. And then there's the unseen, the other shoe waiting to drop really is the loss of institutional knowledge. You know, I'm sure every HR person listening to this has seen this domino effect where two or three people in one department leave. The ones that are left get quickly burned out because now they're mm-hmm. shouldering six people's jobs. They right. then quit. And now you have nobody in the company in that department who has that institutional knowledge of how to do certain things. And that right. costs so much money. And the next generation coming in, I don't, I don't know if they're willing to put in the work and the time and the effort and their talent to ramp up to speed as quickly maybe as we had expected that generation to get up to speed. Absolutely. And, you know, so that's the uh, that's the stick part of it. And that's the worry, as you say, that the younger generation isn't going to step up. But the carrot part of what the HR department can do is there is so much data out there of companies that have really tracked closely when they've done a happiness training pre and post. I mean, an insurance company, so they they know how many calls everybody makes a day, exactly what their closing ratios are. 37% more close, 37% more sales. These are people that are on the phone all day long selling insurance policies. 37%, that's gigantic. What what sales manager wouldn't, you know, give his arm for a 10% increase? That's 37% that they stay on the job much longer. There's just so much data out there that any HR department can Google the, you know, ask mm-hmm. for that data and they'll have a ream of stuff they can show to the C-suite as, as to why they should focus on employee happiness. And there's something else that I don't remember the exact statistic, but uh, Fortune magazine polled, I believe it was just the Fortune 100 CEOs as to whether they thought the great resignation was going to affect their bottom line in the next year. And a vast majority of them felt that not having enough employees to fill enough spots was definitely going to affect their bottom line. So the C-suite is starting to pay attention to it. I think in the future, HR is going to have a seat at the table. And I've also, this is something that I say frequently at the HR conferences I speak at, I think people... and. Everybody should really listen up here because I believe the HR department has a once in a decade opportunity, a once in a lifetime and a career opportunity to get a spot at the big table that they have not had before. Because the C-suite, you know, we know in years past, and I was I didn't have a big company, but I've built several businesses on my mm-hmm. own, million dollar businesses. And like every C like every CEO. I thought of HR as a sunk cost, something we have to have to have, but all the love goes to the marketing department and the advertising department and the sales department. And now that the C-suite is feeling enough pain that they're ready to give the HR department a seat at the table and they're ready to start making HR decisions part of the company's strategic plan for the future. Mm-hmm. So I think HR execs have a once in a career opportunity to change their where they fit in the corporate structure. They do. They do. They do have the seat at the table. And if they don't, now is the prime time to ask for it. A lot of times, um, you know, executives just in general don't ask for actually what the company needs. And um, it's very, it's a very unselfish ask, um, I would say at this point. Like you said, the stage has been built. You just simply need to to show up and uh, and lend your talent. So what are 
let's let's get this down to brass tacks. What are three things that HR can do to encourage more happiness within their organization? Well, happiness training is certainly one of the things. So as I said, I liken the skills of happiness to learning to play a guitar. They can be taught. There are things that can be taught. The universities teach them. I teach them. There are many people that do happiness trainings in, in for corporations. So that's number one. And then what they're doing is they're leveraging all the dollars they're already spending. If if you're giving some, your uh, your employees a benefit and you ask them as part of the happiness training, what's something that you're grateful about? Now they focus on the fact that they're grateful that you've give, given that, that given them that benefit and it increases the value of the benefit to them. So you're leveraging money that you're already spending on things. So that's number one. Of course, we know that people join companies and leave bosses. And so it is making your, and everything flows downhill. So if the CEO is focused on happiness, then his execs underneath him are focused that way. And it just keeps on going down the ladder. And so having a boss that is focused on your happiness is important. One of the things I teach, like the simplest little thing I teach when I go into a corporation and I do a, a full day training, a happiness training workshop, I tell people, look, if your favorite song comes on the radio for three minutes, does that give you a boost in your day? Most people would say yes. Okay. Three minutes. You can have your song, your favorite song on your iPod. And if your boss walks by and see you rocking out to your favorite music, he should be happy that you're doing that rather than saying, why aren't you pounding the keyboard right now? So right. it's those kinds of things that make a difference. And that little three-minute happiness break makes the other five hours afterwards much more productive, mm -hmm. getting back to your idea of the four-day work week. So that you're much, mm -hmm. there's so much more we can do, be more productivity we can generate if we're engaged. And so the goal is to have people engaged. And if it's a four-day work week, everybody wins. And I, I suspect the happier you are, the more productive you are. And, you know, there's, uh, I, I can't remember if it was Peter Drucker, um, actually calculated out productivity as it relates to profit. And in some organizations, particularly service organizations, a 10% increase in productivity can equate to a 100% increase in profit. And so this is happiness can increase profits directly because of productivity. Without a doubt. That's what I said earlier. I don't, I don't have all the statistics in front of me. There are so many statistics. Any HR person can Google the effectiveness of happiness on productivity, and they will have a ream of d data that they can take to their C-suite. There is so much data on more productivity, more creativity, more, more successful. We all tend to think, I will be happy when I am successful, when I get the promotion, right. the new job, the new title, I'll be happy then. In fact, we have it backwards. You will be more successful when you are happy because you access parts of your brain. So they have they're starting to do uh, functional MRI studies where they do things that make people light up their happiness zones, where they mm -hmm. get the serotonin and the oxytocin releases, and they become more productive, more creative, so they become more successful. One little simple example, uh, I mean, I know people teach manifesting, and I honestly don't know exactly what that is, but mm -hmm. there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. And I'll give an example so that everybody can relate to it. You go buy a new red Chevy truck 
and suddenly you notice red Chevy trucks everywhere you drive. That's because your reticular activating system is now keyed to red Chevy trucks, so it notices them. There were just as many red trucks the week before, but you didn't notice them. So the same thing happens when you are happy, you trigger your, your reticular activating system, your RAS, and now you notice the things that will help you become more successful. So there's an opportunity over here to do some new business. You might not have noticed it before, but when you're happy, you trigger that part of your brain that accesses to say, oh, I noticed that this person's doing such and such. That fits in with the business plan I had or whatever. And then you make a new connection and you do extra business or productivity. And that works for everybody. It does. It does. Well, we could have this conversation all day long because happiness is important, both at work and at home. And I know this podcast and all of your insight is going to help our listeners create happier lives, not only for themselves, but hopefully within the workplace. But we always end our podcasts with these questions we call rapid fire questions. So for our new listeners, these are one sentence questions that we ask our guests with the goal that their answers will help you continue to grow professionally and personally within your own journey and growth development. So are you ready, Rob, for some rapid fire? Go for it. All right, let's do this. First question, what are you currently reading or what have you read recently that you recommend and you cannot recommend your own book? Uh, recently, I read Blind Spot by John Clifton, who's the CEO of Gallup, and is it a, it is about the increase in worldwide unhappiness and what we can do about it. So mm. John Clifton, of course, everybody knows Gallup is so focused on HR data and statistics in the workplace. So it's a very valuable book for HR people. They are. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Uh, Well, as I mentioned earlier, I was happily retired when the pandemic started, and I was happily retired with a lot of knowledge about how to be happy. And during the pandemic, I just realized there were so many people that were so unhappy, and I felt I couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. So that's when I started this Encore career as a speaker. And my mission is to make people happier at work and at home, but happier in their lives. And I would say my goal these days is to add value in every circumstance that I'm in. And that's what I try and do. You were kind of doing the opposite of the great resignation. You came out of retirement to help those. I did, but you know, I can tell you in my entire life, I don't mind working 80 hour weeks because I'm always doing something that I love. So Mm -hmm. my wife and I might, you know, settle down in the evening and watch some Netflix movie. And then I'll come back into my office and start working on something. And she can't understand it. But it's not like I'm going to work. I'm just going to do things that give me satisfaction in my life. And Mm -hmm. that's what I've always focused on doing. So it doesn't matter to me that I work really hard now for my speaking career and and because I'm doing what I love. And I know I'm having an impact. you know, I'm working on a TED talk now. I hope that has a big impact. I spoke at Harvard recently. I know that had an impact. So that's very gratifying to me. It doesn't matter how many hours I put in doing it. Well, that's when you know you've reached life happiness, right? Absolutely. All right. What are some bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area 
of expertise? Well, I would say those bad recommendations were a lot of things that I hear people trotting out the same old benefits, you know, that we used a long time ago. And they work for the thing about benefits is it's what the social scientists have two kinds of happiness. One is called hedonic happiness and one is called eudaimonic happiness. Hedonic happiness, the same root word as hedonism. So it's happiness that makes us feel good for a moment. Having an ice cream cone, buying your new car, whatever it is, make you happy for a short period of time. And then we also have something called hedonic adaptation. So that's where the first taste of the ice cream cone tastes better than the last taste. So you have both of these things going on. You're doing this happiness that makes people spike for a moment. So they put in the you know kombucha on tap and the, the massage chairs and the yoga classes, and they get great usage for a little tiny bit of time. And they quickly do, they do their uh, surveys to see how effective the, the program's been. Everybody says we love the massage chairs. And then a year from now, they're sitting there gathering dust and nobody uses them. And they're not making anybody happier anymore. So those are the bad ideas happening. I think if you focus on teaching people how to be better at being happy, all those things last longer. You get way more bang for the bucks you're already spending. List one of the biggest mistakes you've encountered throughout your career, and what did you learn from it? And it doesn't have to be your mistake. It could be someone else's. Oh, I'm happy to admit my mistakes. I've made <laughs> way more than most people do. Um, my biggest mistake was that I was a bad boss for a while. Uh, as a film director, most of the people working for you are freelancers. And so the motivation you need to give them is to get them all on the same page for the, your creative vision that you have to create the movie. But you may only work together for a couple days or a week or a couple of weeks, and then they all go their separate ways and they work for other people because they're freelancers. And then when I had a bigger full-time staff and I had to keep them motivated and happy every day, I didn't make that switch in my mind that I, that, that I had to keep them happy, which is a different kind of uh, leadership. And I was a bad boss and we had a bit of a revolving door. And then one day, my younger brother, who was a very successful entrepreneur and had hundreds and hundreds of employees, he kind of sat me down and told me what I was doing wrong. And overnight, literally overnight, I became a much, much better boss because mm -hmm. I focused on my employees' happiness and I already knew how to make people happy. So it just was, I had not focused on it before. Once I started focusing on keeping my own employees happy, our turnover went to zero. We didn't lose mm -hmm. a single employee for the next three or four years until we sold the company. And uh, so that's my lesson is, uh, you know, I had to focus on making the employees happy. And luckily, I knew how to do that. I love it. Why should CEOs give HR the credibility that they deserve? Well, it affects the bottom line. Like I said, even the CEO, if they Google productivity and profitability increases from happy employees, the data is just so overwhelming. It's <laughs> you're leaving so much money on the table. You're costing your, your so much turmoil in your organization with turnover. It's just so profitable. It's such good business sense to care about HR and to give HR the same amount of love that you give the marketing and sales departments. It's their time. It's their time. The stage has been built. Where can people Absolutely. go to learn more about you and what you do and how much happiness you bring to the organizations that you work with? 
Oh, they can go to my website, which is my name, R-O-B-D-U-B-I-N. So it's robdubin.com. Uh, they can read about what I do there. And if they go to the resources page, they can download all kinds of resources on everything where well, they can download the framework for happiness that I teach this uh, eight hour full day workshop I do for corporations. They can download a condensed version of that. They can. One of the questions we get all the time is my wife and I have now celebrated our 40th anniversary and people ask, how did the two of you get along so well in a small boat for so many years? So we have our little bit of relationship stuff there. We have some financial things about how we were able to retire at 42. So there's a lot of resources there, happiness-related resources that will benefit people and that benefit their organizations. And there are takeaways that they can do with their employees. So it's always a challenge of, can I teach the organization how to spread this out throughout their organization? And there are strategies there that they can use to to make all their employees happier. Well, thank you for helping us all become happier. It's been a pleasure. It's sincerely my pleasure. That's my goal is to see how many more people we can create, how much more happiness we can create in the world. Thank you for being part of HR Morning. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.